everyone, and uh, again, welcome to those uh, who haven't worshipped with us before. If you are a guest, I just want to make sure you are aware of the colored insert in your service folder, and also aware that there are pens in the basket near the doors when you came in, and there's likely a pen in one of the black uh, connection books in the row, uh, which might be a blessing to you uh, to to use that one um, during our study. I don't know if you've ever felt... if you've ever felt like that uh, computer that you just uh, watched um, in the video where um, you're trying to, to move along in your life, but things just seem to get paused a little bit. You'd like to see some progress and you, you keep you know, pressing the keyboard and in your life now things don't seem to be moving. You feel like you're spinning your wheels a little bit. It could be in your life in general. It could just be in a specific area of your life, whether major or minor. Um, and, and last week we talked about how we all just would like to have a, a reset button for our life that at times we could just press and it would kind of just erase the past and just give us a fresh Fresh start. And you know as well as I do that we can't erase the past. But at the same time, we don't have to be content in what is happening in the present. That God has given you this day, this week, this year, and and you've got a chance to press reset and to change things today with his help so that things are different tomorrow and in the future. And so we talked about last week how some of us can be a little skeptical about change. And one of the reasons why that is is because, you know, everywhere I go, there I am. We talked about that. And so I bring along with me my baggage, my tendencies, my temptations. And and so it can be really hard to change me because I'm always with me, you know? Have you ever felt that way? And so last week we just spent some time sort of picking on skepticism and sort of unpacking cynicism about change and, and, and saying, like, understand where you're coming from. And the truth is, is that the exact change you're looking for to the degree that you're looking for it may not happen exactly the way you want, but you got to believe that change is possible And that's what King David came to see after he had wiped the saliva off his face and was in a a cave. He, He came to realize, Lord, I need you for there to be real change in my life. And if you recall, I used the analogy of a laptop where the batteries died. And a lot of times in our culture, we look to change to the right motivational words or the right motivational speaker. And... And what happens if you would do that with your laptop? You know, come on, fire up. You're a great laptop. It's not going to help. What you need is a power source. You need to plug it in. And that's the way God is. We need to plug into God every day of our life in order for there to be the change that he wants in our lives. And uh, we talked about four different areas of change and of health and By the way, why is health important? Why does God care about your health spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically? Here's why. Because he doesn't want you to waste today. We're not standing in line for a ride at Disney World just, you know, biding our time until heaven comes. He's given you purpose for today. 
And he wants you to be the, the best version of you that with his help you can be. And um, so this week, we're starting to just pick off those four different areas of health by talking about the one, looking at what God has to say about what I believe is the one that's the most important, um, our spiritual health. Have any of you um, heard the name Josh Hamilton? If you're a sports fan, um, you're more likely to have heard of him. Um, Josh Hamilton was or is a, a baseball player, and as a A senior in high school, he was drafted as the number one overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft. In fact, here's a picture uh, of him being drafted uh, by the Tampa Bay, uh, at that time, Devil Rays. And uh, physically speaking, when it comes to his physical health, I mean, he was a specimen of health, right? Um, It showed in his baseball uh, abilities. He was fast. He could hit a baseball a mile. He uh, got on the pitcher's mound for scouts, and even though he wasn't a pitcher, he threw the ball 97 miles an hour, which if you don't know anything about baseball, like that's really fast, okay? That's all you need to know. It's fast. Um, Great physical health. He was with the Rays for two years, and his body started to break down. He had some unfortunate injuries, and... um, For three years, he wasn't able to play baseball regularly. And it was during that three-year time that not only did his baseball career spiral, but his entire life spiraled. And here's what happened, okay? Here's what happened inside of him, is that for most of his life, for the first 20 years, he had built his value, his self-esteem, his life on the foundation of sports and baseball. None of us are professional baseball players, so we could say career, maybe. Who we are in this world for the world. And when that was taken away, um, everything crashed. In fact, um, he started to try to build his life on other foundations, and he chose bad ones. Drugs, alcohol, uh, women. Over three years' time, he was in and out of rehab um, eight times. Eight times in three years as he continued to try to build his life on something other than physical health and baseball, okay? Now, to make a really long story short, Josh Hamilton played baseball again, He's been on the all-star team five times. In 2010, he was the AL MVP. That means that he's the best player in all of the American League, even better than Joe Maurer, okay? (laughs) And what happened? How did things change? Well, if you read his story, what you find is there was this moment when he was at his very worst that he decided to go and spend some time with his grandmother. His grandma, as she tells it, opened the door, didn't even recognize him. That's how far he had fallen. Well, his grandmother happened to be a very godly Christian woman. And through her encouragement and his time with her, and then his personal time in God's word, and and, and he shares some of the passages that had a really profound effect on him, he got healthy spiritually, and then he was able to play baseball. 
He was already healthy physically, and he couldn't play baseball. (laughs) He got healthy spiritually, and his entire life changed in many different ways. Now, if you know anything about Josh Hamilton, you also know that between that time and today, he's relapsed a couple times in some pretty bad ways, okay? That's the life of a Christian. We take a few steps forward, take a couple steps backwards, We get things right with God's help. We still sin. We relapse. But yet he hasn't fallen like he did that first time. Because every time he's fallen, guess what was there? That foundation. And so using Josh Hamilton as an example of something we've all in certain degrees felt that can apply to all of us, our first fill-in is this. That spiritual health is the key component to a healthy person. You cannot truly be healthy if spiritual health is not healthy. Oh, you can look healthy. Your friends might think you're healthy. You might be able to get through a lot of things, but I'm telling you, scripturally, biblically, what God says, if your spiritual health is not healthy, you're not going to be a healthy person. Now, <laughs> you're people that are in church right now, and so I'm guessing that not too many of you would argue with that fact. Not too many of you would, would argue, you know what, you're wrong. <laughs> we all would agree with this, I'm guessing. But I have a question for you to consider, though. With that said, we're nodding, right? How much time do you spend on your spiritual health? This is true, we all agree, but how much time do we spend on it? And maybe another question you're wondering, okay, yeah, how do I spend time on my spiritual health? I'm glad you asked those questions because Paul answers them for a young pastor named Timothy. And so Paul is a pastor in the first century, and he mentored some other pastors, and Timothy was one of them. And in his letter, creatively uh, entitled First Timothy, the first letter he wrote to Timothy, um, he writes a little bit about training and about health. And I want to read some of those words for you right now. First Timothy 4 verse 7 is where we're going to start. Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Let's let's stop right there. Paul acknowledges something that was just as true then as it is today. There's a lot of different voices out there. There's a lot of different people who share certain truths with us, but not all the truth is true. Does that make sense? That there is truth that the world believes that's just a godless myth or an old wives' tale. So we need to be careful to that which we listen and take as being truth. Um, I wonder if you can think of any godless myths or old wives' tales. Let me give you some examples of what Paul was talking about or examples from today. Here's one maybe you've heard before. it's, It's a loud voice in our culture, that essentially all religions lead to heaven 
Or in another way to put it, that all gods, all belief in any god will lead you to the same place. Now, I kind of like that. I mean, the more the merrier. That's why I'm a pastor, right? To get as many people in heaven as possible. The problem is, it's a wives' tale. That Jesus says very clearly that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will get to the Father. No one will have a relationship with God except through me. And yet culture blasts that message. Um, how, about, uh, how about this one? There's no such thing as truth. You know, Pontius, Pontius Pilate, you know, he thought that too. You know, what is truth, right? And so, in fact, some of the people you know get a little bit... Um, I don't know, frustrated, upset when you start to maybe share some things that you believe are true. And don't, don't put your truth on me. There's no absolute truth. Well, the reality is, is that my truth is not absolute, <laughs> but there is absolute truth. God's truth is absolute. Um, how about this one? And I hear this uh, through the grapevine from people who have gone to, to secular counseling. Um, and as someone is just trying to figure out what to do in a difficult situation, the counselor will, will essentially ask them this question. Um, so as you look at the situation, what is it that's going to make you the most happy right now? Because that's really what you need to do. You need to worry about you first and make yourself happy. Now, does God like it when we're happy? He rejoices when we're happy, okay? But when you come into a difficult situation, or any situation really, his guiding principle is not, how are you going to have the most fun in this situation, smile the most, or be the most happy? In fact, Jesus said, those who follow me will have to at times take up a cross, okay? Sometimes the right thing is not going to make you happy. In the short term, at least, it's going to make things harder. And so sometimes, um, you know, life is like um, being at a concert, okay? And so you've got the band playing loudly through the speakers, and you've got people with you at the concert, and they're trying to talk with you, but you can't hear them because the band is so loud. And sometimes for us, the band of culture is so loud that it deadens the other voices. And sometimes we might even find ourselves beginning to believe or buy into certain wives' tales of the world that contradict things that come from the solid, trustworthy voice of God. And Paul says to Timothy, don't do it. Watch out. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. And then he continues, but, or rather, Train yourself to be godly. Now, that kind of sounds like Paul saying that you need to do something to be godly. Is that what the Bible says? Let me parse this out a little bit. You and I do nothing to be a child of God. Nothing. It's by grace, everything Christ did for us on the cross, his death and resurrection, he's done it all. But this isn't what Paul is talking about here to Timothy. He's not talking about becoming a Christian. He's talking about being godly. That is, living out your Christian faith. Living out your, a Christian life. And he says, you need to train. 
You know what that word is in the Greek? It's the same word that the Greek person would use if they would have said, hey, you need to go to the gym and exercise. It's work. It's the same exact word. What he's saying is you need to exercise your faith. You need to, to train to be a spiritual athlete. You need to train to be spiritually healthy, to be, as it says, godly. Verse 8. You can go back. And so our next, uh, next fill-in is that healthy people will make spiritual exercise a daily priority. Healthy people will make spiritual exercise a daily priority, spiritual training. We will consider our health, our spiritual health, and we make that a priority, okay? Now, Paul can explains how, okay? Next verse. For physical training is of some value. Here talking about physical health. Um, is it good to be physically healthy and in shape? That is, again, most concerned about just being healthy, not exactly what you look like. That's a secondary concern. What God's concerned about is, have we taken care of our bodies? Are we healthy? We're going to talk about that in, in the last week of this series. But that's only of some value. Think of Josh Hamilton again. Physically gifted, life unhealthy. Physically in shape, life in shambles. Physical training is only of some value. No matter how good you feel or look, someday, if you live long enough, you're not going to look as good and you're not going to feel as good, okay? <laughs> it's of some value. And Paul continues. But godliness, that is spiritual training, has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Being healthy spiritually makes a difference in all situations and in all circumstances, not just in this life, but it has an effect for the next life too. And so the, the, the greatest truth of the Bible, the reason why it was written in the first place, why it was preserved. The primary reason was so that we would see the truth about who we are on our own, sinners, unable to get one day perfectly right, and who God is, a loving Heavenly Father who sent a Savior so that we might live. So that when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't see sinner anymore. We see redeemed child of Christ through him. That's the main reason why the Bible was written. And that's the greatest part of faith. That someday you're going to be in heaven because of what Jesus has done for you. Um, so what about this exercise then? I mean, uh, let's think about this for a second. So if... If I already believe that Jesus is my Savior, why do I need to spiritually train? Why do I need to exercise? Mustard seed-sized faith saves, right? I got mustard seed-sized faith. I'm, I'm good. Um, here's how I've heard it said. 
And it's usually said by people in their 20s or 30s, usually, when, when I've heard it. Here's, here's one version of it. Um, yeah, Ben, I, I, you know, I kind of gotten out of going to church or reading the Bible. You know, I grew up with it, went every week. Um, I know what the Bible says. I know that Jesus is my Savior. I mean, I don't really have a lot more to learn. I, I'm good. Or here's a different version of a different 20-something or 30-something, and, and they'll say, Ben, um, you know, I think it's time for us to get back to church. And I'm thinking, that's great. They've begun to realize how important it is. We'll talk more about why in a second. But then they'll say, yeah, we just had a baby, and we really want her to have what we had growing up, and so we're getting back into church for her or him or whatever gender the baby is. That's ridiculous! <laughs> that's, like, that's like a 50-year-old, out-of-shape, high-blood-pressure guy saying, hey, I don't need to exercise because when I was in high school, I was really healthy and had six-pack abs, so I'm good. All right? I don't care whether we know whether Jesus is our Savior or not in the sense of does that then dis- exclude you from needing to be in the Word, exclude me from needing to be in the Word? No, not for a moment. It's great that we know that Jesus is our Savior, but we need to continually exercise. At least that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. We need to exercise uh, spiritually every day. Um, Spiritual health has value for all things. Like what? I love this verse as uh, as we continue to parse this out a little bit. In Hebrews, it says this. We have this hope, this hope about Jesus, this hope of faith, as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Um, It's similar here to the point that Jesus made about building your life on a firm foundation. The storms of life, the difficulties of life, are going to come at every single one of us as we live in a sinful world. It's going to be hard. Having Jesus as your Savior, having him at the center of your life is an anchor. And how good it is to drive that anchor deeper and deeper so that no storm or no wind can pull it out. Um, made me think of uh, in our laundry room, we have uh, a rack of hooks uh, for our kids to put their coats on. And we uh, first put that up about, well, when we moved in, so about six years ago. And in the, over the last six years, our kids have grown. And so their coats have grown and they've gotten heavier. So about a year ago or so, um, the anchors came out and the hooks fell, okay? Because the weight got too heavy. What do I need to do? I need to anchor it better. Drive that anchor deeper. Get a bigger anchor, so to speak. When you're in the Word, you might already know Jesus is your Savior. But we need to grow those spiritual muscles. We need to drive that anchor deeper and deeper so that if the coats get heavier, we don't fall. That if the storms rage, we stay strong, not on our strength, but on the strength of Jesus, on the strength of of the faith that, that he has grown 
in us. And so our next fill-in is this, that a healthy person will recognize the importance of a growing faith. Mustard seed size faith saves. But a spiritually healthy person is not content with that. They recognize the importance of a growing faith. Not only as an anchor, but also for one other reason here that I want to talk about today. Also for the Bible's direction. The Bible tells us God's plan for marriage, for parent-child relationships, for how to best view material blessings and how to use them. It gives us direction about forgiveness, and the list goes on and on and on. A wealth of direction here. Not only that, but this, this uh, library, I was going to say book, but it's not a book, it's a library. This library of writings is filled with tons of examples that you get to, to learn from. What to do, what not to do. Um, as an example, let me, let me share some things. Um, if you're someone who ever battles depression, did you know that Jeremiah... Job and Elijah also did. It'd be interesting to read how they acted and reacted and what God did in them. And guess what? You don't need to wait for a sermon series on that. You can read it on your own. Are you someone who ever feels alone? I bet not as alone as Noah felt, as one of the only God-fearing people left on the earth. Are you a widow or a widower? So were Naomi and Ruth. Do you have a big project ahead of you at work? A building project? I don't know. Nehemiah had a building project ahead of him. I wonder how he handled it. You ever doubted God? So did Abraham and Isaac and Peter and Thomas. And I mean, I guess we could just list everybody. And God's preserved these words, not by accident, but so they would be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. There's such amazing direction that he's given to us. And so Paul encourages Timothy to train, exercise, to be godly. And then verse 13, as we're going to skip ahead here, he says, So then, until I come, and always, devote yourself to the public reading, to the reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Does devote, do you think, have a a sense um, sense of ownership to it? Is it it an easy word or a continual a continual word, a continuous word. It's a word that has some bite to it, right? A devoting to the reading of Scripture. I was was doing some some math today, which is always scary, and uh, in preparation, I should say, for this message, and I found out that there's 168 hours in a week, all right? This is really hard math. And, uh, and then I found out that one hour of worship around God's word out of 168 
and you mathematicians might need to check my math on this, but is about a half of 1% of your week. Now, I don't know how much you're around the word, but let's say there's some that it's just on Sunday morning. Would you say that a half of 1% is devote? I mean, that's not even on the graph. Half of 1%, huh? And, and as we consider this, what, what Paul is directing Timothy and us is this, that we need to be in the Bible. That it can't just be a decoration on our shelves. That if your Bible is really clean and the binding cracks when you open it, it's not a good sign. That your Bible should have marks in it and highlights and, and little notes That we're bringing it to church. That we, when, when Ben says open up to 1 Timothy, we know where it is. Not because that saves us, because it shows us, shows yourself that you know your word. You know where things are. Um, spiritual health. Here's our last fill-in. Reset your spiritual health. And the reading, reason why that's important is because it's an anchor. All right? Spirit, being spiritual healthy is an anchor. And it gives direction And how do you do it? By reading your Bible. Regularly. Now, I have no idea, I should maybe, but I have no idea what your Bible reading habits are, okay? So I'm going to share some statistics with you that are may not apply. I pray that our percentages are way different than these statistics. But these are statistics taken from the United States in general. Can you guess what percentage of Christians read their Bibles even just for a minute um, every day? Anyone want to take a guess? What percentage every day, even if it's just for a minute, read the Bible? No one wants to guess. Is everyone with me? (laughs) Okay, okay. 10%. 10% of Christians will read their Bible at least for a minute every day. 60% of Christians, 60% in America, read their Bible less than five times a year. 20% of Christians don't read the Bible on their own at all. Not, not 20% of people. of Christians. I just want you to to think about that for a moment. So so if you take the the 20% that don't read it at all and the 60% that read it four times or less, that's 80%, right? So there's 80% of people in this country who buy into the whole Jesus is my Savior thing, right? Right? And they center their life around it. They, they base their hope for eternity on it. But they don't ever read about it. And in fact, they've based their entire life on something that other people are telling them instead of getting into the word on their own and seeing it for themselves. What other area of life would we do that as a country? To, to put so much of our hope in something, but never to take any ownership of it. I can't think of anything, right? And again, these percentages, I pray they're not true for this group, right? But in America, this is 
what's happening? Reading your Bible is at the heart of spiritual training for Timothy, and it's at the heart of being spiritually healthy for us. Now, over the years, I've, I've heard a lot of different um, well-intended reasons why people aren't getting into the, the Word on a daily basis. And, and I, I get some of them. One of them I've heard is that, you know, I don't know where to start. Um, it's, it's hard to understand. Um, I've heard the time one uh, often. And so as we close today, and as uh, we really want to together reset our spiritual health, I've uh, thought about a way um, this week that I can just help you to get rid of, help us to get rid of our excuses. And so I have a plan for you. Um, On your way out of church today, um, every person in our congregation that can read, and, you know, we're not going to quiz you, you know, like have a sentence. We just take your word on it that you can read. But every person, so that what I'm getting at is kids, okay? Kids, too, that can read um, will receive a uh, a four-week Bible study plan. And what I did is, you know, I'm not sure that I understand the word. Well, what I did was I took basically four weeks through the life of Jesus. You can understand it all, okay? It's not like Leviticus or something like that or Revelation, all right? And so I even given you Sundays off, okay? Because you're here, so it's your Sabbath, all right? Um, six days a week through the life of Jesus, only about one chapter a day. Here's why. Because I don't want you just to read it for time. I want you to read it for growth, And what that means, it needs to include your head and your heart, and the Holy Spirit will help you grow. So what you're going to do is you're going to journal on it, if you so desire, I can't make you, using the SOAP method, which will be explained later, okay? There's SOAP journals out in the atrium. Take one. There's Bibles if you don't have one. Take one. And here's the other thing that I for accountability purposes for all of us, and if you're still overwhelmed by the thought. Every morning, I don't know exactly what time, because if I gave you a time, it probably, I don't want to promise things that aren't going to happen, but every morning over those four weeks, I will post my soap journal entry on our Facebook page. And I want you to see how I do it, and then do it better, Okay. And I want you to read what I write and maybe put a little discussion chat in there and we can go back and forth. It's my accountability. It's maybe a little bit of accountability for you. I just, as I told you earlier, I just want you to get in the Bible. Some of you are Bible warriors. You're already in the Word every day. Keep, keep it up. We all need to be there. I'll tell you, this is a Holy Spirit thing, but the weeks that I get lax on my personal Bible study, I mean, I'm in the Bible every day. That's one of the benefits of being a pastor, right? You get in the Word and you, get, you even get to make a living off it, right? But when I X out that personal Bible study, non-academic study, when, I, when for some reason I don't do that, I feel the difference in my attitude, in my joy. It's a Holy Spirit thing. I want you to be healthy. You want to be healthy. It starts with your heart.